Welcome everyone to the Snap Fitness Maitland podcast. I hope you're having a great day. I'm Cameron Russell, the owner of Snap Fitness Maitland. On today's podcast, episode number 20, uh, it's a little bit different. Adrian Cunningham and Luke Cunningham interviewed John Runshell. John, a local hunter legend, young dad of two beautiful kids, successful rugby career that took him to play overseas where he met his lovely wife. Two years ago, his life took a turn from a successful business owner to being faced with some pretty uncertain life-threatening times. He's currently battling cancer and he shares his story and hopes to inspire some other people and other men out there. I hope you enjoy. This is an in-depth conversation. Three, two, welcome to Snap Fitness Maitland Podcast. We are at episode number 19. So today we have a very special guest. Uh, I get to co-host uh, this podcast with my older but worse looking brother, Luke Cunningham. Um, and we've got a very special guest on today's podcast. Um, I looked up to this guy. We played uh, pretty much similar positions as uh, growing up for the Maitland Blacks. Um, he was a few few years above me playing, but I got to watch him play some pretty good grade footy. Um, I actually worked for his old man for a couple of years, back and forth there, um, and we'll hear more about that business. Um, I actually passed out one afternoon working for them over some hot concrete, um, me and good old Oompa, and he was working me harder than, um, than I was working at all. So anyway, there's a bit more to that story, but yeah, he's on the show with us today. We're going to hear about not only his growing up, his story, um, we got some pretty powerful messages to send through today, and I'm pretty, um, yeah, pretty excited to hear what he's got to say, and, and uh, yeah, and get going from there. So, welcome to the podcast, Johnny Runchell. How are you, mate? Thanks, guys. Yeah, great, mate. Good as you, Johnny. Good luck. Yes, yeah, going all right. So, Johnny, before going we get good. into you know the last two years, five years, ten years, tell us about good old whippersnapper Johnny. Running around, where where where'd little Johnny start? Mate, little Johnny was born in uh, Gosford Hospital back in uh, eighty one to a uh, Peter was a policeman and mum who was a dental assistant. So he did a lot of travelling around, moved houses quite a lot till oh, 13, 14 when we finally probably settled in Gresford, basically Gresford pub pub at about probably. 10, 12, and then uh, called Maitland home around the 13-year-old mark. So, yeah, all over New South Wales. So you, so you guys, did your parents run the pub? They did, yeah. Yeah, yeah they had at least. Oh, mate, it was, it's probably not, for a 12-year-old, it's not the yeah. the greatest uh, thing, like if you're 18 yeah. or whatever, of course, yeah. you know, but it was a lot of work, mate. Look, it's, the parents worked extremely hard to, Keep it going, keep it uh, alive, and it was it was tough. It wasn't wasn't as glamorous as it sounds, that's for sure. But it was an experience. So an experience. what was so what was the decision to relocate from Maitland, even though it's not that far from Gresford? What was the reason to to base yourselves in Maitland? Well, work finished up. Well, the pub finished up, and uh, yeah, but got work in Maitland then. So then that was pretty much it, mate. We we had a lot of friends in Maitland at the time. And um, it's pretty just obvious choice, you know. Next biggest down, and here we came and settled in, and you know what it's like. So is that when is that when your dad kicked off his his asphalt and landscaping business? Nah, mate, he had a um a security business at that stage, uh, security lumps, and that was based in Mayland. So uh, that was that was him for ten, twelve years doing that. Got into that and quite successful yeah, and went well. So. Off we went. Um, yeah, cool. Yeah, mate, was home. What, uh, what school did you go to? Yeah, sweet. Went to Grosman. Grosman, my boy, yeah. Started at Dungog, guy. Yep. Till year eight. And then transferred. Dungog, yeah. Beautiful. It's not a bad place. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not a bad place, mate. It was a, it was a good yeah. school. It was fun and uh, whatever. And I was yep. pretty sad to change schools, but yep. it is what it is. And But now, you know, yep. all my mates are from yep. Grosie and... So Johnny, uh, once you once you finished up school, year ten or twelve, year ten, mate. Yeah. Just. What was uh, what was your go to job from from mate, school? Mate, yeah, I had no. I was terrible. Like just <laughs> left school with no idea. Like sixteen, seventeen. 
no future, no nothing other than play rugby, get overseas and run a muck. You know, that was that was my goal. So I, I bounced around, I job to job to whatever, making money to drink on weekends and basically that was it, mate. Yeah. You know, and uh, didn't have much drive at that stage. And um yeah, it went from there, so that was uh that was yeah, me. Sweet. And growing up, obviously, I'd seen you run around the paddock. Um, a lot of people were lucky yep. enough to not only um, play with you, um, but also play against you. Um, and the good old front rower. Tell us a bit about your rugby days, mate. Started it with Maitland? Mate, yeah. Started yeah. with Maitland at 12s. I actually um, well, I actually played soccer for Grossford okay. when I first well, started. I mate, in first. You were... I don't that back in <laughs> running around. Actually, a funny story. I I would turn up at training for the game, and the jersey wouldn't fit. Look, it was skin tight. <laughs> and what they did, they go, "We'll fix it for you, mate. We'll fix it." So I come the next week, and they decided to cut the <laughs> the jersey. I put it inside and put elastic straps. <laughs> you couldn't do it these days. You'd, You'd ruin a kid's life. Running around the whole, whole season with these big air, like my gut just hanging at the side type things. So, is, that why you, is that why you always look so good when they brought the slimline rugby jerseys into right, play? Exactly. Like I, I was ready for it from other days. Practice. Unreal. Yeah, exactly. So, um, mate, I was going to line up to play soccer again under 11s. I thought you were going to say they so. couldn't get a jersey to fit. <laughs> Pretty much. I think that might have been the real reason. Anyway, um, Stiffy and Mick Belcher were playing rugby. That's how the Mick Belcher and the Belchers come around. I've known them since day one because they had the butcher shop in Gresham. Yep. We had the pub, so yep. always super, mate, super close. And um, they come down to play rugby. I'm like, oh, I don't know how to play rugby. But anyway, off I go and it all started there. 112s and Dan come down, he was under 10s or under 8s or yeah. whatever it was. And just addicted, mate. Always loved it. Yeah. Love lead growing up and was always going to change it. Just the boys and the, I don't know, just yeah. rep and whatever. Yeah. Just yeah. just get me coming back, you know. So always front row? Always, mate. Always. Like maybe went off to number 8 here at one stage as a bit of a, yeah. bit of yeah. a treat maybe. But yeah. Always front row. And I'll make, to be honest, you know, I love front row. I think it's the greatest position on the park. You can, yeah. you can do what you want. You can add as much to the game as you like. And you're not expected to. Yeah. Well, now, back in the day, all you were expected to do is yeah. have a line and a scrum. You've done your job. Yeah. And you could add more to it. And you you looked at it as a great player or, or whatever, you know. You look, yeah. It was a great position. So, sorry. So, were you... Were you someone that started playing representative level footy from that young age, or did you sort of spend a few years just playing club stuff before you hey, started getting picked? To be honest, I think I played one club game, then I played rep footy straight after. Yeah, right. But I was, I was, I was a big kid in a small. Yeah. You know what I mean? I was always a big kid. So yeah. I didn't, I don't think it mattered if I could catch and pass. <laughs> yeah. Right over. Yeah. You're in. Yeah, you, you're a pretty intimidating uh, character, Johnny. Beard, then you know, like a 12. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not playing off the juniors at 12, I'm yeah. playing off a lot bigger than everyone else. Yeah, yeah, you know? and it just, yeah. So, my gear yeah, played for Newcastle and under 12s, and no idea went down to Sydney yeah. playing against the 50 boys and got belted. Like, grew up pretty quick, but yeah, played rep pretty yeah. quick. Not, not extremely. I didn't play country or anything till yeah. probably not till about 16, you know. Yep. I figured out what I was meant to do till about a 16-year-old. Yep. Yeah, but June, a lot of Newcastle stuff, and geez, they were great days, though, the, the Newcastle rep days for juniors, going away with the kids. And yeah. Wearing, wearing that horrible green uh, outfit yeah. for Newcastle. The old Milo's. Oh, mate, you're proud as punch. Yeah. Proud as punch. Yeah, I couldn't think Good of, days. you know, for the few years I was lucky enough to have a run around for, for Newcastle Hunter and then obviously country, just getting those those selections and then getting the, the track suits and then going away, camping on the weekends. It always felt like you were on a holiday and you could get up to a little bit of mischief. You'd all be in the room at night time and then yeah. you'd go play five games the next day and pull yeah. up all right and then you go play another three games the next day and finish with a grand final or something like that. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, yeah nah, so cracking. obviously rugby wasn't just a little bit of leisure for you. It's sort of um, it sort of kick-started a fair few milestones in your life. Um, you obviously went from playing representative to a bit of country footy, and then um, yeah, from memory, rugby took you overseas as well. Um, played a bit of rugby over there, or cool. yeah, mate. Yeah, so basically when I got to seventeen, I think I was seventeen. I went down and played for the wildfires in Newcastle. I thought. Let's give this Sydney thing a crack, see what's happening. Newcastle's there. Let's have a go from here. Because I no desire to go to Sydney. Like, you know, you got the calls or whatever. And I had no interest, mate. I was like, yeah. ah, it's not me. It's not yeah. me. I was a mailing boy. And all I wanted to do was hang out with the boys all weekend and play rugby. So I went to play with Wildfires. And that was great. That was a great year. It's a shame that went past because it was a really good setup and had a lot of potential. And now it would be brilliant for young kids to be able to play in Newcastle mm. against the best in Sydney and go from yep. there. So did that at 17 in the under-19s. And, oh, mate, I think even that year, well, well terrible. Like the first and second grade was a cricket score every week. They were getting beaten. Yep. Mate, every week we'd get dragged up to second grade and play against these mates. And it was a, a because, of, year. because back then in the shoot shield or the, the Sydney comp, it was quite common for... Wallaby players and all those oh, yeah. caliber of fellas to be filtering into first and second grade in those comps, wasn't yeah. it? Oh, mate, like you look back on old programs and blokes will post on Facebook or whatever, and some of the names that, yeah, and it's just like club rugby on a Saturday, yeah, you wouldn't see it much now, you know. Look, it's doesn't yeah. happen, they only, they only want to play, they only want to play for the money back yeah. then. Are they yeah. love going back to the club, yeah, the shoot shield, and geez, some of the boys are playing against played for Australia the week before, you know. Yeah. And they're playing for Sydney Uni the week after. Yeah. Like from Newcastle. There's a massive, there's a massive, step up. Um, yeah, for sure. It's been a massive shift in that kind of transitional rugby these days, I think. Especially, like, I went out, obviously, out of Bathurst for Uni for a few years, and we played out in the Central West Comp, and they were always pretty handy against the Hunter. You know, Hunter was always one of the strongest um you know, rep sides, but, you know, and then some of the boys out there that were playing, they were easily capable to be in that Sydney footy, but obviously due to, you know, politics sort of come into play a bit, who knows who, and then before you knew it, it was like literally you had no chance unless you went down there and lived there for a couple of years and, and not, not, yeah, not many Put people. Put your life on hold. <laughs> nah, there's a, there's a massive stepping stone that needs to be, Needs to be yeah. filled in, but we could talk about that for, yeah. for years, you know. There's there's no doubt. So um, anyway, yeah, that was a went down to wildfires and had a great season. Enjoyed it. Then they folded up. That's when I come back to mainland in 2000, just after they won the back to back. Unfortunately, I yeah. missed the glory days there. Yeah, everyone talks about and I wish I was a Bartles. Don't you worry. Yeah, it was uh, great times. But um, yeah, got back there and played first grade straight away and. I got bashed again, like just get hammered from a young age. And, you know, look, it was uh, picked in first grade, straight up against, I think, Merriweather or something. And I remember just getting flogged. Just yeah. Flogged. And that was my first grade debut. 2000. Yeah, awesome. The you know. Went from there. I dropped a couple of times yeah. back in. Yeah, good stuff. That's the way it is. And back in that, back in that era for Maitland, you know, being so strong, and Maitland have always been very strong in the forwards, even in the the weaker years. From a, a result point of view, you know, we've still been strong in the forward pack. So, you would have played alongside some pretty handy footballers. Oh, mate! Like I started with Moose and Demo and Shappy and Geordie and yeah, Darky and all the guys that played the year before. You know, yeah, but they, yeah, they, it was it's just where you learn. Okay, yeah. you're not a kid anymore. You're a man now. You know you yeah. got to grow up. Or yeah, I think I've I learned so much. Like for life, out of those years, not just on the field but off the field and what I'm going through through yeah. now from those guys as well. Yeah, you know, just teaching you probably mental strength, probably um, oh, resilience, maybe, bit of resilience, bit of probably stupidity as well. <laughs> yeah, you know, don't get me wrong. Not listening to your body, not listening to things either. Yeah, you know, just be right at it. Um, get over it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So anyway, no, that was a and playing with like freak and <clears throat> was it came through. They were great, great to me and yeah, great. Oh, awesome. Still great mates now. Yeah. 
Right now. And that's it. And the position that you play, there's no easing into it. You know, like, for instance, with myself, I played halfback and I got to hide behind blokes like you when I first come in, whereas you, you're right up front. There's no uh, there's no shine back from it. No, it's – yeah, you can't really show any sort of uh, weakness or no. where you take it by, you know. Like, I know now when I was older, you, you see a guy and you go, right, oh, this guy shit himself or whatever. Yeah. And you're ready just to tear it apart. Yeah. You had to just be tough as you possibly could be. What that is, I don't know. But yeah. Yeah. It's like you learn at a young age or, or you stop playing because it's not worth it. You yeah. Know? Well, mm-hmm. those first few years where I came onto the scene, you know, you were, you were playing some pretty high level rep. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're in the Newcastle team every year and then you played a few seasons uh, with the New South Wales Cockatoos. Um, you played against some uh, some pretty big name you know opposition and and played a couple of big curtain raises to to either test matches or, or super rugby matches yeah yeah mate that was probably the one goal I had was to get the country jersey to put on my resume to to travel overseas and yeah. um those country days were awesome mate that you know the country championships the country strange shield or whatever they called it at the time where we played. At that stage, mate, we played against every every state. So we played New South Wales, you know, obviously New South Wales country, then Queensland country, Darwin, Earth, South Australia. So, mate, it was ridiculous. It went over 12 weeks, and we spent two weeks in Perth and yeah. South Australia. You know, like, that's how I, I didn't have a job because I got sacked once. So I said, I'm going to play over in Perth. Yeah. Oh, week. You know, like, it's just, the boss is like, what the fuck, you know? Anyway, and off yeah. I went. But, yeah, those, and those guys playing in that team was unreal. Like, a lot of them could have played for New South Wales, you know. There's no doubt at all. But, like you say, they're from Bathurst or whatever. And they job's on the mm. – they're looking after the farm and they'll make more money there than what they could yeah. at rugby at that time. So, they play for country. And we played a lot of games, a lot of, a lot of curtain raises. And I remember – I think the first game I played four countries against New South Wales and come off the bench and here we go. It was Patricia Noriega was me. Opposition front row. Yeah. Mate, just unreal. The Argentinian. Probably 120 kilo prop that played how many tests? I don't know. But yeah. She asked yeah. to shit himself the whole time. I still remember <laughs> now at the back of Bathurst. She's absolutely beacon out. And I was probably 1920 at the time. Not that yeah. that matters now. But, you know, you just sit on going, oh, God. I'm just yeah. giving my money back against a bike that's backed scrums against everybody in the world. So no, in, in a situation like that, does a bloke of that calibre, does he go easy? I think he, I honestly think he did. I honestly, <laughs> I think he had a bit of a look and got, yeah, mate, we got all getting beaten by about probably about a few points at this stage. Yeah. So it wasn't like the game was in the balance. Yeah. Who was name that, um, oh, the guy that changed over. Uh, Blacklock, Nathan Blacklock was playing. I think he's already had five tries I'm done about six or seven backflips in the in goal area. <laughs> so, well, well, it's really, well, yeah. it's really touched up. But, um, yeah, I think he might have. I think he might have took a little bit easier. Yeah. Oh, that was Larry's face. Shit yeah. himself. Oh, that guy. Anyway, it was fun, mate. Great stories. And the the beers afterwards. Yeah. He old over the stories as well. You just brilliant. Part of the just brilliant. No. No. Still to this day, like, I'd, I'd love to play just to yeah. go and have beers with the boys and just that comrade, you know. You just can't match that, just having a beer after it. I don't yeah. know what it is. It's just that. When, especially when you're playing in a, a good team that's playing for each other, yeah. that gets them really well. There's no better environment. Yeah. It, you know. And that's it. Regardless of the result, you know, sitting down in, in a dressing shed, debriefing over a couple of beers before you you have a shower and go go your own way for the rest of the weekend. Yeah. It's it's a pretty cool thing. And yeah. and I don't think it matters what level you're playing. You know, like no. it's, if you're playing for Australia or you're, you're playing for yeah. my large with a soft drink, yeah. just gathering around, chatting after, drink in hand. I know yeah. the drink's just so important. I don't know. Yeah. Some, <laughs> just a, whether it's a soft drink or anything, that's something in common. Yeah, there, obviously, you know, Maitland Blacks, all the boys that we used to play with, you know, you classify them as family. Fill us in a bit about your family now. So, obviously, your lovely wife and uh, your couple of kids. 
Yeah, Tyron. It's my wife of, uh, oh, gee, how long now, Tyron? Ten years, yeah, just ten years. You should know yeah, that, Johnny. I should know it, haven't That hurt on me somewhere, haven't it? <laughs> <laughs> um, two kids, Axel and Jane. Axel's six, Jane's eight. They're uh, doing really well. Funny kids. Yep. Remind me too much of me. Um, <laughs> but they're doing really well, considering the circumstances, yep. which we'll get into later. But um, they're doing great. They're yep. still laughing every day. Yeah. So, and, and you met Tara in Canada I, um, through your footy too, didn't you? Yeah, exactly. So I went to Blake Country for a couple of years. I had the resume up and I um, put the feelers out. I always wanted to play, play in the States, but I didn't want to go over to us. 21. Obviously, that's a drinking age. I'm not going over. <laughs> yeah. you know, what's the point? Yeah. So, 21, eight, eight, nine, I was gone. Done. So, we sent out a few fellas. It was me, Berger, and um, Tim Governor. Luke Bergens. If you don't know Bergers, or if you don't know Luke Bergens. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, off we go. Uh, sent an email to 100 clubs and pretty much got 99 bites back because. Everyone was chasing gloves, chasing yeah. gloves in the States at the time. Or even now, they still are, you know. It wasn't because anything. They just they love Australian players and they know they're going to be decent. Anyway, we'd, we've had a hoop and then next thing, get a few emails back, fourth or whatever, and we're heading to this club called Oh Riverside or some shit just out of LA. And yeah, right, that'll do us. We'll go there. Sounds pretty good. Five minutes out of Hollywood. You know, a bloke from Mail thinking, wow, that's amazing, 21 years old. Yeah. But then, um, the phone rings. Two o'clock in the Arvo. And it's this. His name was Dallas. Australian bloke rings me. I can't do it. Australian accent. My voice is fucked. But, yeah. hey, mate, Johnny, here you go. Mate, I play with, you know, Crofty and Dalo and whatever at Norths. Do you want to come to Las Vegas and play with the Blackjacks? Like, <laughs> come to Las Vegas and play with the Blackjacks. Yeah, yeah. Why not? Let's do it. So... Packed up your bag. He said, right, I'll meet you at LAX airport and we'll drive you in. Perfect. Off we went. Picked us up. Promised us the world. Gave us about half. I'm <laughs> in Vegas playing rugby for three months. Just running amok, you know. Look, it, was, it was amazing and that's how it all yep. started, the overseas stuff. And then moved back yep. after that, yep. um, obviously back to Maitland. And how long ago sort of did you move back before you, before you had the young ones? Mate, I, um, I yep. didn't move back to 2010. That was 2004. I moved back 2010. Yep. I was back for a year. It was 11, I joined. And that's when, mate, like I virtually didn't stop rugby, but I think just lost yep. the passion for it. Yeah. Lost the, um, the drive, and I've always been that. Uh, and I wouldn't say it was because of Jane or anything. Anything like that. It was just focused. Goalpost. Goalpost move, mate. Yeah. And you know you know me pretty well. I tried to play lower grades, but it just frustrated me. It just I just couldn't do it. Yeah. Couldn't do it. I like a lot playing with you, Luke and whatever and you know, both of you guys, but it just it was just hard, you know, like just the yeah. focus had moved. Different uh different goals, different yeah. whatever and yeah. That's and then obviously it your parents ran the asphalting company we were just talking about before, which I which yep. I did a little bit of casual passing out with. Um, how yeah, did yeah, that all come about? So you obviously now or did started started running the company, running the business? Yes. I that started all back just before I left, basically. It started in two thousand and two. And they took off and I think every bloke from Mayland is yeah. pretty work yeah. much like yeah. but <laughs> Yeah. Everyone's done their time. Yeah. Some sort of apprenticeship and going, right. It's like, an initi- it's like an initiation process into the club. Uh, yeah, it's that or a wake up call to maybe <laughs> work a bit harder. <laughs> Get new yeah. jobs so you don't kill yourself. Yeah. First week, you know. So, anyway, lessons to learn. But, mate, yeah, when I got back, finished up rugby, then that was the time I wanted to really push forward. And so I uh, bought the company in uh, 2014 ish. Yeah, what's a lot there, 50, 17, something like Anyway, yeah. And then that's that's where I went and, mate, loved it. Loved it in the company. It was, it was sort of like my rugby there. That's where I took out my, um, yep. my focus, yep. Yep. my drive, my goals. Um, 
and everything, you know, like all my rugby stuff went through my business to get yeah. bigger, stronger, you know, and that. And it was like a lot of me, like a baby type thing, you know, yeah. watching grow. And, 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 and I wanted to sort of highlight that, that, obviously, for the guys and, and girls and everyone listening in is is it's not only the habits that you produce in a sporting environment or in a business environment and on a family environment, you carry those habits, you carry those patterns, you carry those drives, those focuses, those motivations towards whatever area needs it the most. Um, and, you know, I, other than your business, I also know that you're also ticking off some pretty awesome like endurance and exercise challenges. I think you did the Tough Mudder a couple of times. I, I did, I did the Tough Mudder a couple. I never really... Never been a big runner, as you can imagine. I'm yeah. 112 kilos, and that's skinny me. Um, but I wanted to just my yeah. wife was into a lot of running and and uh, triathlons and so on. So I, I said, oh, let's give it all a go." So yeah. I did the city to surf. Did quite I did the only 15, and then I got into CrossFit, yeah. and I was doing that six days a week, just loving it, not competitive. Never did any competitions, but just enjoyed that yep. drive, that focus, sort of teamwork, and to take the mental, the mental strength as well. Where you, we, you know, boys know what it's like when you're, you're at the bottom, you're worn, but you just got to use the head to keep going. That one more, one yep. more rep, yep. one more cycle, yep. one more stride. You know, yep. there's no better feeling when you're finished and you've been to that depths of where you think you're not coming out of. And you yeah. can keep going to finish it. Nah. Yeah. It's a great feeling too. You know, so. So, Johnny, that sort of brings us close to the the present moment in time and, um, you know, the main reason why we're having this chat today. And, you know, you're, you're a bloke in your mid-30s um, going back about two years ago and um, you got some uh, some pretty awful news. Yeah. you want to fill us in, mate? Yeah, mate. Like, so I'll say, like, May 2018, I started to get a bit, bit rough. You know, when I was coming into winter, cold, wet, I was just getting sick, you know, like, going to the gym, going, geez, I'm not, you know, like, I can usually push myself harder than this. What's yeah. going on here? You know, like, what's happening? I go home, and then I had a couple of days off work. You know, like, this is ridiculous. I haven't had a day off work since I've been whatever. Like, this is, this is not right. So I went down to the doctors to say, mate, I'm feeling a bit rough. Get hot and cold flushes. Wake up in the middle of the night. Sweating, um, what's going on? He's like, ah, no flu. You just got a bad flu. Let's um, take a few of these antibiotics and it'll work itself out. Beautiful. No worries. As you blokes have probably been through yeah. in the past. So right, I take a few antibiotics. Come decent. Off I go to work again. Back to the gym. Still not quite getting that hundred percent. Still not quite right. Getting to stages where I'm getting to get back to the doctors. No few more antibiotics, you know, anyway, yeah, back I go again. So I ended up going down for the third time. And, mate, it's probably my fault. Like, if everything is nothing, nothing right, push the shit out of it Do you know yeah. what's not right, you know. Yeah. I was sort of going, yeah, right, Doc, give me them. I'll be right, see you later. So I went probably time number four. I'm like, no, nah, mate, yeah. no more antibiotics. Let's, let's get a scan, see what's going on. We think it's pneumonia or some sort of condition as my breathing was it was tough but not bad but I was feeling and it's probably my fitness was my own worst enemy because yeah. anyone out of shape probably would have been in probably ER maybe, you know, I'm not talking myself up, but my breathing capacity was going. Yeah, my, you know, I was struggling in that way. But my fitness and you know, mental stupidity or strength, whatever you want to call, just kept pushing myself to go play with the kids. Go to work 12 hours a day and then just go to the gym as well. Then go, I'm not feeling quite right. Anyway, go for a scan. Go get the scan, mate. I drive down five minutes down the road. My phone's lighting up like a Christmas tree. Didn't answer once. Five missed calls in the space of five minutes. Like, what the? And the next thing is the doctor. I'm thinking, oh, shit, here we go. He's ringing up to tell me what the results are. Thinking, geez, that's quick, but like I didn't. I like left Adams down and didn't make it to. The footy stadium at Four Meadow there, five yep. minutes down the road. And he's mate, we found um we found lesions on your lungs. I'm like, you what? Yeah, I can still remember the day now. Drop me, like, you know, you gotta get back to the back to the um 
radiologist get in there, get a CT scan, we've got to find out what's going on. So obviously you can imagine her there with me at the time and mm, we're yeah. just balling, a mess, done, can't think straight, just life's over, where are you going to bury me, let's go. You know, yeah. it's just, you can't explain it to know what it's actually like, how it feels to hear that. And at that stage, I haven't even been told. Yeah. It's cancer, all I've been told. It's illusions. Yeah. It might look good, you know, and it's not, you know, it could be. So I go back, do the CT scan, and then the doctors call me in straight away. Right, I know why. So I'm back over at Katara Doctors. And he's like, unfortunately, mate, you've got a, uh, a germ cell tumour at the chest. Which what that is is, but I've learned so many words and so much shit in the last two years that no one needs to know and no one should ever go through, you know. But yeah, it's what it is. And mate, what it is is, it's a form of testicular cancer, but it actually started in my chest. So as, as you're a, a baby, or the cells didn't quite develop in my chest, and they got a bit of array in the in the chest. So it's like a ticking time bomb, basically. Yeah, it was go off, you know, and unfortunately went off when I was 37 years old. But it's very common between 30 to 40 year old. Well, it's not common, but it's a, that's when it's going to happen, you know. Most of the time between 30 to 40 year old mark, if it's going to happen to you, same as testicular, that's your time. But unfortunately, it's not to be balls where they just grab one and cut her off, which sounds very <laughs> casual. But what I've gone through, that is very casual. It's in my chance and it's growing quite quickly. And it's actually spat a bit onto my lungs at the time. So that was it. And, um, yeah, June 28th, 2018 was a day. And God, I can remember it like yesterday, yeah. Terry's got it on her arm there. You know, it's just, um, just changing for the, th- the three of us blokes, you know, we're all in our 30s. And, you know, yeah, the stereotypical male of our sort of generation they adopt that six foot tall and bulletproof mentality where you know like you said a little bit earlier you know you should be right i'll get through it you know it's nothing Mm. nothing major how does how did you deal initially is it something that sunk in with you straight away did it take a week or two for you to comprehend what Mm. you were going to be up against i don't to say away um it didn't sink in straight away. It was, it was sort of like a a gradual thing. It was hard. Terra took it on the chin probably quicker than my bast of breast cancer 14 years ago. So she's done the the up downs and the you know she so she's more of a realist. So she spent the night on the Google to know exactly the ins and outs and whatever. And we'll tell straight away. You know, look, it's. It's rare where it is tough, but it's curable. Yep. And those words give you inspiration to start with, you know. And I, the first, say, week, I bounced from appointment to appointment, which I felt like, like the first week felt like years. Like you go, right, I've been diagnosed with cancer. Why the F aren't we doing something now? Why can't we just get into this, get this shit sorted? Like, I'm wasting days. Let's get this thing done. You know, but realistically, it was, I think it was a, Thursday, and I'll see the specialist on a Monday, you know, or, or I saw him on a, I don't know, or two or three days later. But those first few days felt like forever. How come we're not doing something? You know, and then you just get in this straight fire mode, which I sort of, I think the ropey, the, the ropey days or that, yeah, right, let's fight this, this fucking now and get after it, get done. Looking back now, not with regret, but probably maybe over mine. Probably should have stood there, look back and say, right, oh, mm. which way should we went? Would have been the same outcome, same results. But probably should have just assessed the situation better myself, but it's done now and absolutely nothing you can do about it. You know? So maybe you talk to other doctors, get yeah. other ideas. But it would have been the same same routine for the same same thing anyway. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you mentioned uh, your wife, Tara, before and how she's been through something with one of her family members similar to this before. Um, How I imagine, I I know Tara and I know that she was a a very supportive wife and mother with your kids. How has she been through the whole process? Tough as, mate. 
Tavares. It'll be. Yeah. Um. Just hard to even put into words. Yeah. I wouldn't. I wouldn't be. No doubt. Yeah. No doubt. Yeah. Every morning. Every morning's a battle. You know? And without her pushing me, keep me motivated. Um. Just that, huh? Drive. Give me the uh, strength to go to appointments. You know? It doesn't get much tougher. Like you sit in a doctor's appointment and they say, mate, it's not looking good. Yeah. You know? It doesn't get much harder than that. Yeah. You need someone with you to just go, righto, but we're going to do this. Or just have that extra bit. And it's been hard on her. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. Because you know? I, sp- I suppose on top of being there to support and give you a bit of strength, you know, she's then also having to probably carry a little bit more of the load at home and keep the home fires burning as well, having okay. a couple of young kids. That's right. Look, it's, at this stage, it's like having three kids. You know, look, it's as bad as that sounds. It's, you get like a kid, you, you get down and out, you know. You need some sort of in, inspiration. Get yourself going again. And... Um, it is hard. And, and I know, like, obviously, you've pushed through. This is nearly, you know, approaching sort of 24 months of, of you having to deal with this, not only physically, but more so emotionally. How, on the days that you yeah. obviously aren't really feeling like doing much, what, what's going through your head? Uh, it's torture. That's the hardest, hardest part. Where I used exercise to the Supreme. Like, I remember when I. First got to start on BEB, which is probably the one, yeah. which is a Kumo regimen for testicular. It's mm. probably one of the toughest ones. There, it's five days on for eight hours a day, sitting in a hospital. You stay overnight. You can't go out. And um, mate, that's it. It makes you rough, you know. But every morning, I was up at six and walked to an hospital five times. Yeah. Every and that was enough to get you through the next day. You know what I mean? And in those two weeks off, I'd be straight to the concept gym up at Guyba doing a modified CrossFit workout or something. And I think I didn't do that. Yeah. I wouldn't have got through it. But you would, but your mental strength would be just so out of the gun. Like, yeah. you couldn't keep focused every day because it's mm. shit. It's just shit. It's something you don't want to do every day. But you've got to do to stay alive. And the only way you can do it is in your mentally need to go, right oh, let's make the best out of it. Absolute mm. fucked up situation. And day where you you know, where you're feeling horrible. They're mm. bumping shit through your veins. But, but uh, get up the next day and, and do it and, again. And there's two things that you know? obviously stand out to me in that, like obviously what you've done in the past has built you to be able to handle what's come at you now and not not really you know physically yes but mentally even more so because you know that some days aren't going to be as good as others like you've just said and then your physical um you know your physical past has also helped you carry through because you've always exercised you've always been fit you've always been driven obviously as you said and pointed out, exercise has probably been one of the main things that's gotten you through. And I only wanted to bring this up because, you know, as Luke would know and, and you would know, you know, I've only just completed the, the exercise physiology um, degree. And one yeah. of the major focuses throughout that whole master's is cancer management with exercises as medicine. Um, and we've looked into some epic case studies similar to yourself who have treatment, you know, for X amount of time, five days a week, five days on. And during even the treatment, exercise is even more important. And we've seen some amazing stories of people like yourself who would literally go and exercise for half an hour, go into treatment and then go exercise. You know, there's this one lady that was, she'd, she'd be walking out of the house, hardly walking with her bag and the family's like, oh, where are you going? She's like, I'm going to the gym. It's the only thing that makes me feel better. 
And then she, and they're like, you can't do that. You just got to rest. And she's like, you don't understand. You don't understand. I've got to go. Uh. And then she comes back and she's almost as if she hasn't gone into treatment, but she has. And then, you know, it's the power of exercise. Like you just said is phenomenal. And, you know, from a mental perspective, like, mate, as, as we've both said, both I and Luke, you know, I, we can't comprehend what you've had to go through. Um, but mate, yeah. it's, it's inspiring. Like, Oh mate, look, dude, I can't can't say enough. The exercise and cancer, and unfortunately, mate, we don't have the facilities in Newcastle. Yeah. And for people that, you know, like ourselves that have exercised for our whole life, it's not a problem for me to go for a walk and get out. And I know it's good for me. But old um, Terry Smith across the road that's just been diagnosed, who's never exercised mm. in his life. Yeah. I don't even know where to start, mate. Doesn't even know where to go. And the facilities in Newcastle, well, the doctors are too busy to go, right, I go see this guy at this gym or go to this. And a lot of gym owners probably get either work cancer anyway and go, yeah, sorry, I don't really want to touch that. Good luck with that. So, yeah, you know, where we could definitely in Newcastle have somewhere to go, have setups, have programs, which are designed for Terry the Black that's never done a thing in his life. And that means... A 15-minute walk a day, mate. Yeah. It's well, huge. And, and I know huge. even, like, I've just obviously completed a few different clinical placements and, and clinics now and even pharmaceutical companies um, are actually giving um, funding to interventions for people like yourself who have had to undergo treatment. And, you know, I was only talking to a guy the other day who had no idea what exercise was going to help him with because all he thought treatment was was some form of a vein pumping yeah. medication um, to help him get through it. But r little did a lot of people know the side effects is that medication is what's actually causing you a lot of the harm. You know, it's not the actual the actual physiological damage of cancer growing. It's actually the treatment side effects and, yeah. and the benefits of exercise yeah. from all different aspects. Um, is is phenomenal. I totally agree. Like even with surgery and everything, like I've had actually two open heart surgeries where they do the big sled from there to there. And mate, I was yep. walking within six hours of having it done. You know, and that's just what you've got to do. Like it's you can't just sit there anymore and just go. Yeah, you know, tell me I wanted to sit there for days. Trust me, yep. hurt like a motherfucker. But um, you got to get up and you got to get moving. For surgeries, everything across the board, like like that's half our battle with people getting injured backs and whatever, and relying on surgery, and then sitting at home going, oh, if I lie on the lounge for two weeks, my back's gonna be fucking sweet. Guess yeah. what, Jeff? She's gonna be fucked again. You know, it's just, just that, yeah. And we don't push it enough in society with a yeah. with our rehab and you know, and it needs to be addressed. Like I think it, yeah. it needs to be. Yeah. Uh, for cancer across the board. How uh, how have you guys approached the whole thing with with the kids, mate? You've always, for as long as I've known, you've always been a pretty straight up and down guy. You don't sort of mix your words. Yeah. Has that approach changed with the way what yeah. information you give the kids? Or mate, that's a that's a great question because you'd understand, Luke. How do you will like look your kids in the eye and go? Guys, this could take me down, you know. Yep. It doesn't get much harder. Yeah. It doesn't look you know. So dad might not be around. It doesn't get any tough. Yeah. So mate, first of all, like told him straight up, Dad's got cancer, you know, and then up. Uh, which was fine. Like at that stage of six and four, did they know what was going on? Do they know what cancer was other than a word? No, not really. But then they get to school and you know, someone's and father died of cancer as well. So they instantly find out mm. cancer relates to death, which hurts straight away, yeah. you know. But, oh, yeah, like, that's been hard, trying to tell them, soft like, yeah, like, yeah, I haven't been straight up, like, this has got me, I'm gone, or no, I'm going to be right, or I try and they know it's there, but it doesn't run our family. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I don't want them to go. John, that's cancer victim or that's cancer by whatever. I go, they know I've got cancer. I try my hardest to not let it run the house. 
But it does too, you know, like some days where dad don't get off the lounge. Some days where dad uh, throws up in the toilet all morning, you know, mm. that's dad. But then I don't want them to have their best years of their life going, oh, dad was, his dad was that. Whether it takes me or not, I don't want them to affect him in the way of mm. dad's going to be dead. Or, you know what I mean? I know that's a bit of a all over their plate. It's such a... Yeah. Such a tough question, and it's probably one of the hard, hardest things mm. you'll do in life is to um, look at little kids and go, "Yeah, this is what's going on, and yeah. this is what we're going to do, and yeah, daddy's going to be okay, or daddy's not going to be okay." It's too hard and, to and that's, that's throw that at him, like hundred percent, like and yeah. let's put it in perspective. I think you know ninety nine percent of the population have been living in uncertainty for three months and uh, for three weeks, and you've been living in uncertainty for two years. You know, and you've been locked indoors for three weeks now and people are panicking and thinking the world's going to yeah. end and they don't even have the flu. So for you, how, how have you been dealing with that on a day-to-day basis, not knowing? Like you've just said, you don't know what to tell the kids because you don't know whether you're yeah. going to be around or you don't know whether nah. you're going to actually be there tomorrow. That's right. You, I guess it's, there's a few, like, there's a thing where you say burn a cancer patient's like having a gun to the, stuck to their back of your head. What days are going to go off? And um, it is like that. And it does, it does sort of make it rules you. Like I was saying, for example, I a scan Wednesday. And that scan's going to tell me what's going on. So I sort of live for Wednesday, if that makes sense. Well, you yeah. got next Wednesday, you're going, I'm going to be stuck in the fucking house with You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, yeah. fuck, that sucks. No, I've got a, I'm going to go for a scan. Now the doctor's going to say to me, this chemo you've been sucking into you hasn't done a thing. It's all that spewing shit you've done. Hasn't worked or he's going to go, yeah, it's doing all right. Keep it up. You know, and that's, it's big. And that's how it sort of runs your life in that way. But you're like, well, do we ever really have a choice when the gun goes off anyway? Like, you know, like, you know, do you get on your bushy tomorrow morning? Exactly. Some dickhead runs your ass over. You know, yeah. not going to happen, but. That's, you sort of look at it like that and just go, well, fuck, mate, today I'm going to do a podcast. I've never done that yeah, before. Fucking yeah. That's pretty fucking cool. Yeah. Or I'm going to sell thousand bucks worth of Asheville tools. <laughs> fuck yeah, that's cool. But, yeah. Don't worry about yeah. it. I know, I know it's a cliche. I know it's that. And I know the virus is going on. You know, like I was, when it first came out, I was quite scared of getting it and whatever. But now I'm sort of a bit relaxed like everyone else going. Well, you know, it's there. Yeah. I've been living like this for exactly. who knows how long anyway. Is it a really a big difference? Yeah. Not a huge one. I don't go to Bunnings in the middle of the day and hang out <laughs> with everyone. I see how many avocados are You know, I don't do that. <laughs> no, I'm not going forward. <laughs> but that's super important to understand like and, and i think that's the biggest thing like you take away from your life lessons and i think everyone has different life lessons but how you perceive a life lesson will determine on how you continue with life anyway and i i think obviously what you just said was inspiring because you could have went one way like you said or you could have went the other they probably would have been the same result but your quality of life is going to be different on whichever road you take and my don't get me wrong, I went down that other road. Yeah. I fucking struggled for a long time. My mental health was shocking. I got to the end of my bed, that chemo, and I said, mate, it hasn't worked as well as it should have. Yeah. It fucking dropped me, look it. Yep. It dropped me and I went that other way. That what's the point? Lie in the lounge, cry, go and I can have yep. cry, do this, I can whinge about it, cry. You know, yep. then it took a long time to get out of that. You know, and I go see you. Now I go see a psychiatrist yep. once every two weeks just to talk to him and say, hey, this is what's going on. This is fuck, that's fuck. And, you know, I, yeah. I should have done that when I was 18. Just yeah. to get 100%. Just again, that's a chest. super important yeah. point. Like whether, you know, for yourself, you're going through a life-threatening illness, you know, even as you said, if you were 18 and you understood what it feels like to actually just get shit off your chest that's going through your mind every day, the power of it's important. It is important. And we talk about it. Like, And your missus doesn't want to hear it every day. Like, As much as they can, they get sick of hearing about how bad I feel, how much I want to throw up, how much I want to cancel sucks. You know, like, I don't want to hear it every day. Mm. Bad as it is. 
and your mates don't hear it every day either. You know, as important as mental health is, looking after your mates and all that, sometimes they don't want to hear it. Mm. And that's fair enough. Fuck. You know, like, that, you, know, you, you don't want to hear about someone whinging all the time or... That's why I say, like, go see a therapist. Go see someone. Get anything on your head, off your chest, whether it be small, big, tiny, whatever, kids, work. Get it off you. Big. And you've got to see a good one, but you <laughs> may have to go through about 10 of them. My mind tells me to wake up to your fucking self. That's a redhead woman that tells me to fucking wake up. <laughs> you see that? Yeah. You don't want someone blowing you off, like saying you're the, you're the greatest thing to ever walked the earth. Because you're not. Mm. No one is. 100%. You know? Doesn't matter. Going back to that point about that you made, you know, that Tara and your mates, you know, you yep. think sometimes they probably don't want to talk about it or you think they might get sick of it. But from your point of view too, you'd probably appreciate having a conversation with people that doesn't entail any topic to do with cancer too, wouldn't you? Mm. Every day. Yeah. Every day. It's funny, Gunnar, when you when you, you get diagnosed and you put this in Think about this now. If you got diagnosed now, who would step up and who would step away? You know, yeah. mate, you'd be surprised. Yeah. You'd be surprised. Like, if you, you obviously, we don't hang out much anymore. We're obviously good mates. Yeah. You know, I'll say, I'll say, probably more than you on the track or, or whatever now. But, um, mate, we'll catch up any time. But my group of mates now are totally not what you'd think. Like, it's four yeah. chicks and a, and a bloke drinking coffee yeah. at Merriweather. And then yeah. I... But it's what makes yeah. me what makes me comfortable. And I don't yeah. have to talk about going through cancer, going through another surgery, going to see me doctor. You know, and every time I sort of ring someone, they want to know. And that's fair enough. Mm. They want to know what's going on with me. I understand yeah. that they either want to know or they want to gossip about it or they want yeah. that's just human nature. Yeah. And, you know? and I, yeah. I don't and that's an awesome point to bring up, like and Sometimes it's not about the specific issue that's happening. Like, and I know for a fact that a lot of people going through chemo or treatment in regards to whatever cancer diagnosis they have, some of the main shit they deal with is like anxiety and depression and social disorders because all they're doing, they're fearful of what others are going to think and say. And they just want to, they want to be a part of society and they want to be a part of normality in regards to conversing and talking to mates and talking with friends and having a laugh. And they, you know, that, that'd be hard for you. How did you, how did you deal with like turning up to a game of footy and knowing that the first thing people, as you walk down, it's like, oh, well, what am I going to say? Like, who am I going to sit with? Like, are they going to ask me questions? Like, how did yeah. you deal with that? It was tough. I'm not going to lie to you. It was hard. I used to go sit in a corner and go, I just don't want to deal with it. Mm. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want anything to do with it. You know, even, yeah. And that was just my way. Other people are happy to throw it on social media and go, oh, wow, do this, do that. I hated it because I it made me live it yeah. every single minute of every day. Yeah. Social media or whatever. I loved that. I sort of got a group of mates, got them together, and they knew where I was at. And I could go and have a beer and talk about rugby. I could talk about fucking anything, kids, whatever, but not about cancer, not about anything else other yeah. than cancer, you know what I mean? And laugh. And for that hour not have it on your head or that gun at the back yeah. of your head. And, and, and yeah. that's, you know I mean? that's, that's, yeah. that's an epic point to make. Like, yeah. you haven't let the fact that you have been diagnosed with cancer, but cancer hasn't defined who you are now. Yeah. It, it has in a way. And I've probably I've lost relationships yeah. from cancer. There's no doubt. But unfortunately, I've had to make some... Fucking hard decisions of relationships yeah. for my own mental health too. Yeah. You know, it's been fucking hard that I won't get into now, but you can understand where it's at all. Any cancer patient would know. I've had to distance myself from someone, somehow, whatever, for that reason, yeah. just for my own mental health. Yeah. And I'm not going to say, my mental health's fucked up. There is no doubt. Like, and if anyone went through what I've gone through, you're, you're not going to get through without any mental health issues. Yeah. And I'm happy to tell everyone. 
I'm fucked up. And, There's yeah, no doubt. And that's, that's a point that's also super relevant is people think mental health is something that is just like a, a stigma around being depressed or being unwell mentally. But mental health is, is the same as your physical health. You work on it day to day and not every yeah. day is going to be good. You know, and and the thing is with mental health, it's more important than physical health. It pretty much defines how you feel. Yeah. Exactly. Well, your mental health pushes your physical health. I believe. You know what I mean? You you gotta have that drive in the head to take yeah. off and take those steps. If you haven't got that to start with, you don't. And I was the first, mate. Like I like growing up or whatever. Before this, well, maybe not before this, because I dealt with it a little bit more when I was a little bit older. Mental mental health. Through work, and then through other avenues or whatever. Um, but probably growing up, we sort of grew up in an era where there's no such fucking thing as mental. Mm. Get over it and get on with it. You know that was yeah. that was life. Yeah. You know, and I like I believed it, mm. and a lot of people do now. That's great to them. Good on them. But just be prepared when you're going through it, and you will. That or you don't know you're going through some sort of mental. Health. That it, it's fucking hard, you know. It's it's tough, and it takes people around you um, looking after yourself to get through it. And medication, man. Medication. If all else fails, go see your doctor. Get on it, mate. Look, I'm I'm on antidepressants. I've got it now. I'd yeah. be the last guy that ever mm. ever take antidepressants, yeah. but I can't, yeah. man. I've got to do it. Got to do it. And that it is what it is. Does it affect me much? I don't know. Probably. Mutes me, like maybe straightens me, like me. Me ups aren't as up. Yeah. Me lows aren't as low. Yeah. I take the, yeah. I do sleep and do oil as well. Yeah. Same thing, mate. Yeah. You know, look, it's same, you know. And you know, in the past, what is it? I can waste your time, waste of money. Wake up to yourself, go get on the piss and sort it out, you know. But the, uh, yeah. the next day after the piss, yeah. back again. And obviously, so, like, you know, I could talk to you all day about this and I'm sure Luke could as well and just, you know, your journey and whatever. But if you if you could go back, you know, two years and a week before that, that, that 28th of June, 2018, what, what, what teachings or lessons or advice would you give to yourself? Mate, I, I don't know. Look, it's, it's, I'm not, I'm not one of those guys that can go back and, Yep. Wish coulda, shoulda, woulda. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean, I'm, what I've done in life, I'm just sort of like, I could do, I could do it tomorrow, no regrets. I've done everything I wanted to do. That's good. And that's just me. So I have problems saying, I wish I could have done this, wish I could have done that. Probably would have took a deep breath and just go, hang on a minute, let's do some uh, thinking. Let's maybe see another doctor. Let's uh, get another opinion. Take a deep breath. And then inhale and mm. bite it off. Yeah. I mean, I just put the heads down and go, right, let's talk. I sort of took it as like, right, doctor's telling me to do this. Plan. Go do it. You know what I mean? Like, that was it. You know, this doctor's told me to do this. Go do it. And then you're like, fuck, like, maybe, like, you know, would have been the same, same route, same whatever. Possibly, possibly not. But, yeah. well, it's done, done now, you know, like, it's, there's nothing I could do. But what a, yeah. Yep. Go get yourself checked. If you, know, you got a lump, you got to go get this. And doctors don't want to send you for X-rays. They don't want to send you for CTs, especially if you're 30 or whatever. They've got no interest. You know the amount of people coming in their 30s with uh, stage four, like bowel cancer and prostate cancer. It's, it's in lung and whatever. It's it's fucking horrendous, man. Look, it's yeah. and it's it. There's barely any signs for it. You lob up, the next day it's all through you. Yeah. What do you do? Like, mm. there's nothing you can do about it. But if there's something in there that you just don't think is right, go to the doctor and don't listen to old the GP that that's 20 that's done five years at school or whatever. And I'm not saying they're bad. I'm just saying make sure you've got the reason for it in front of you and be happy. You know, like that's that's all I'm saying. If you got a little inkling and you know something's not right, make sure it's right. Follow it up. Follow it up, yeah. mate. Check your nuts. If there's something there, go and see what's going on. You know, it's mm. it's not hard. 
But don't be scared of it either. Like, there's no point riding around people telling you, don't eat this, do that. You don't fucking live long enough to live on broccoli. Do <laughs> <laughs> you? Like, I'll tell you. Go on this diet. Go on that. Fuck that, man. Like, if you're going down, go down. <laughs> my opinion. Something different. Go on this diet. Go on that. I'm like, well, you're only here for a short time. And I tell you, the doctor could tell you tomorrow, you're done. Do what you want to do. No, yeah. I love it. And rip into it. If you want to just stay within moderation, fucking do it. Anything within moderation is okay. Yeah, no matter how bad it is. Love it. You know? Mate, really? Okay. Well, Johnny, thanks, really mate. I appreciate you jumping right. on, mate. Um, Any yeah. Epic. At all. I'm happy to talk to anybody, mate. If anyone hears this and they're going through it, hit me up. Whether I can give you yeah. something, whatever. And even just to chat about like, it. That's the thing. Anyway. Like it's you don't even have to chat about it. Yeah, just yeah. chat about yourselves. You know, you chat about what's going on and I think, you know, just just chatting that's at right. a deeper level with someone who might have experienced similar things and yeah. just that support, like as you said, without terror, you know, just for that support aspect, you'd you'd find it hard to, to get out of bed every day. So yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't be out of bed now. Yeah. I wouldn't be on this call. Yeah. You know, like there's absolutely no doubt I wouldn't have went for the second surgery yeah. when yeah. I probably shouldn't have. You know, like there is no way, you know, that support around you and that yeah. just to get you going every day. But not everyone's got that. Not yeah. everyone's got that. And I understand that. And I'm lucky to have it. You guys are lucky to have it. You know, yeah. and it's tough. And you need it. You really I need it. Appreciate it, it Johnny. Sure. Thanks heaps again, mate. And um, yeah, con- all the best. Yeah. All the best for Wednesday, Johnny. Legend. He'll be right, man. I'll be still, yeah, I'll still be alive on Thursday. Yeah, that for a second. Sure will. Legend. Thanks, mate. All right, boy. Thanks, mate. Have Thank a good you. arbor.